0: The following is a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network, powered by Anchor. You are listening to Andy on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Bleeker, and Pocket Cast. However you listen, wherever and whenever you listen, thank you for tuning into the program tonight, and you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter, it is at all Andy Alfred. It is at AllAndyAlfred Alfred and Facebook.com slash All Andy Alfred. The Lions get the job done against the G Men and now head over to Oakland for the last time in Oakland to battle the Raiders this upcoming weekend. Disappointment again as the Browns fall flat in Foxborough, giving Belichick his 300th win as a football coach. We'll talk about that. The Buckeyes come out strong and tear down Bucky Badger in Wisconsin while Michigan staves off and beats Notre Dame with their own shillelagh. Toledo comes back in overtime to beat Eastern Michigan while the Falcons get bucked in Kalamazoo. And speaking of Kalamazoo, the Wally, a big win this morning against the Wings and the Jackets. Seem to don't know how to play do that hockey in Philadelphia. We'll talk about that tonight. And so much more. The NCAA has come out and announced that players can get paid for their likeness. So does that mean that NCAA 20 college football is coming back? I hope so, because it's time for All-Andy Alfred. Guess who's back? All-Andy Alfred. And a shot at a goal. 24 runs in the fan. I are shut to all shut out. Also home Come, Jack! F way back! Put some extra relish on my hot dog. Bear down, Chicago Bears! Choo choo, it's time for All Andy Alfred. And with that I say OH I love you guys and welcome into another edition of All Andy Alfred right here. On your exclusive home for me, and that is the Anchor Network, and that is with the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, whether it be on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Bleaker, Pocket Cast, however you listen, wherever, whenever, and however you listen, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for tuning into the podcast tonight. And as always, you can be a part of our show. By following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred. It is at AllAndyAlfred. And so welcome into the podcast tonight. Got a lot to get into. We will preview game six of the World Series tonight as the Astros with a 3-2 series lead over the Nationals. We'll preview that game. Also, we'll hit the ice for the Jackets report. The Jackets going into Philadelphia this past Saturday. And the woes that they had seemed to carry them on to the ice on Saturday, we'll get into that, as well as talking about the walleye. The walleye coming back home after five games on the road. They had a game this morning. We'll talk about that, and I got a chance to listen to most of the game. We'll talk about that, as well as looking at the Cincinnati Cyclones. Also, you'll hear Scott Leffler's uh, presser versus Akron coming forward uh, as Akron comes into Joint L. Perry Stadium for the second to last home game of the season, the last home game on a Saturday. We'll get into that as well as the rest of the NCAA football. But first and foremost, before we begin, let's start with the National Football League and let's talk about the Lions. And I'm telling you, folks, it is good to have a win. After three game after a three game skid, losing to Kansas City, and then getting the bye, of course, then going into Green Bay, figuring that, you know, maybe we could be competitive against Green Bay, and we were. The officiating screws the Lions out of beating Green Bay. And then Minnesota comes in and we just absolutely lay a flat egg. And thank God that the G-Men came into fourth field because the Lions get the win. after a, uh, On a Giants team that's honestly rebuilding, they are, they are atrocious. They are really building, rebuilding, I'm telling you. So let's look at the recap from this past weekend in the National Football League, and we'll start what happened in Detroit as the Lions headed, up to, headed home to take on the New York football giants. Daniel Jones, the quarterback, no Eli Matting, but it was all Lions in the first quarter as Jones fumbles the football Devin Kennard picking it up for a 13-yard scoop and score. And it was 7-0 Lions. And then Marvin Hall gets the connection from Matthew Stafford on a 49-yard touchdown pass. And it's 14 14-0 Detroit at the end of one quarter. It was then Darius Slayton getting the connection from Daniel Jones on a 22-yard touchdown pass. It was seven, it was 14-7 in front of the Lions for Slayton again. Connecting on a 28-yard pass from Daniel Jones, eight plays, 57 yards, three minutes and 30 seconds it took, and it was 14-13. The block kick was blocked, and so the Lions would get another opportunity with less than a minute to play in the in the first half. And Matt Prater knocks a 52-yard field goal, and after 30 minutes of play at Ford Field, the Lions were up 17-13. Denny Dalladay, in his two touchdown passes this uh, on this Sunday, he got the first connection in the third quarter from Matthew Stafford, a nine-yard pass, gets him into the end zone, 10 plays, 75 yards, a hot five minutes and nine seconds it took. The Lions were up 24-13. The Giants then comes back with Evan Ingram getting a two-yard pass from Daniel Jones. They tried to go for, for two points. They failed, and it was 19-24 after three quarters of play. And then Galladay putting a bit of the dagger in a 41-yard touchdown pass from Matthew Stafford, making it 31-19. Saquon Barkley getting a touchdown late in the game, making it 26-31. And that was the final, folks, as the Lions beat the G-Men 31-26 at four field and improved to 3-3-1. Overall, for the Lions in the game, Matthew Stafford, 25 for 32, 342, three touchdowns. He did have an interception in the game. His QBR rating of a 93.2%, 93.2%. On the ground, it was Carson, 12 carries for 34 yards. For the Lions, he was the leading rusher for us. Kenny Dalladay, six receptions, 123 yards, two touchdowns in the game. Hall, one catch, 49 yards, one TD in the game. Danny Amendola, 8 catches, 95 yards, no touchdowns. Marvin Jones Jr., 4 catches, 22 yards, no TDs in the game. It was also TJ Hawkinson with 1 catch, 21 yards. For Daniel Jones in the game, he was 28 for 41, 322, 4 TD passes in the game. His QBR rating, unfortunately, was a 62.4%. Saquon Barkley, 19 carries for 64 yards in the game. The defense was strong. For most of this game. And it it, it, it was like a tale of two Lions teams I've seen in the last week. i tell you. Golden Tate coming back from the trade to Philadelphia. That's the Lions traded him to Philadelphia. He leaves Philadelphia. Gets picked up by the Giants. Golden Tate coming back this season. He had 8 catches for 85 yards. No TDs in the game. Saquon Barkley. 8 catches. 79 yards one uh one TD in the game. Slayton, two catches, 50 yards, two TDs in the game. And Ingram, four catches, 40 yards, one TD in the game. And the shocking thing is the Giants have four touchdowns at the game, but they still seem to lose the game for themselves. <coughs> Excuse me. I forgot to hit the cough button there. For the Lions, on first down, they had 17 first downs to so the Giants 24. On third down, the Lions were eight for fourteen. The Giants were 7-for-12. The G-men were 0-for-2 on 4th down. The Lions did not attempt a 4th down conversion. Total yards. The Lions had 375 total yards to offense to the, to the Giants, 370. 316 through the air, 59 for the Lions of the 375 for the Giants. It was 290 through the air, 80 on the ground for the Giants. It was 7 penalties, 75 yards for the Lions. Five penalties, 44 yards for the Giants. Both teams turned over the football. The Lions had two turnovers, one fumble, and one interception. The Giants had one fumble. Uh, the Lions led, did not lead in possession. They had 29 minutes and 13 seconds. The G-men had 30 minutes and 47 seconds. So the Giants fall in Detroit by a score of 31 to 26. Now the Lions will now head the road. They will go to Oakland this upcoming week, a 425 kickoff as they take on John Gruden and the Oakland Raiders for the last time in Raider Stadium. So you're listening to all ADL for tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, however you're listening, wherever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. Now let's talk about another team. Let's talk about the disappointment that happened this past Sunday at Foxborough. As it was the late game, it was the nationally televised America's Game of the Week, of course, as Tom Brady and Julius Edelman and the New England Patriots welcome in Baker Mayfield, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr. and the Cleveland Browns. I tell you, it was over by the end of the first quarter. It really was, and Nick Chubb fumbling the football. You knew it was going to be a bad day. I knew it was going to be a bad day when I saw the forecast on Saturday. It was going to rain, and be absolutely miserable there. I just knew for a fact that we were not going to win. They were not going to win that game. I absolutely knew it because Baker Mayfield is a is a perfect. Guy to throw the to throw the ball, and when you take that away from him, you, you, there's going to be problems. Absolutely, going to be problems. Started off with Mike Nugent kicking a twenty-yard field goal it was three nothing, and then Dante Highwater picking up the football after Nick Chubb fumbled it, carrying it twenty-six yards for a touchdown. Julian Edelman, then. Getting an 8-yard pass from Tom Brady. And after 15 minutes of play, it was 17-0. Patriots. Demartius Harrison getting a pass from Baker Mayfield for 21 yards to going in for the touchdown. And after one half of football, it was the Patriots 17, the Browns 7. So I was thinking to myself, hmm, you know, they could still hypothetically make it. They They get the football to start the second half. And they capitalized on it a little bit. Uh, Austin Sherbert getting a 38-yard field goal, making it 17 to 10. But then the Patriots then took it to the dagger. Edelman to from Brady, 14 yards, touchdown, seven plays, 84 yards, two minutes and 26 seconds. New England's up 24 to 10 on the Browns. Then Nugent in the fourth quarter, making it 27 to 10. Herbert making it close with a twenty with a forty-seven yard field goal, with two thirty-three to go in the play game, and it was twenty-seven to thirteen, and that was the final. Mayfield looking absolutely dreadful in this game. Nick Chubb under a hundred yards in this uh, under hundred and fifty yards in this game, and looking at the box score at this one, the Browns absolutely dreadful. Baker Mayfield twenty for thirty-one. One ninety-four, one TD, one interception in the game. Nick Chubb, twenty carries for 131 yards. He had a great day. I give him that. I will give him that. Jarvis Landry, five catches, 65 yards, no TDs. OBJ had five catches, 52 yards in the game. Harris had the two had the touchdown reception. He got two balls for 33 yards for the goat. Tom Brady, he was 20 for 36, 259, two TDs, no interceptions. Mitchell was the leading ball carrier for the Patriots. He had 21 carries for 74 yards. Edelman, 8 catches, 78 yards, 2 TDs in the game. White, 4 catches, 75 yards, no TDs in the game. And Dorsett, the second, 3 catches, 43 yards, no TDs in the game. Looking at the overall stats in the game, the Browns had 15 first downs, so the Patriots 19. On third down, the Browns were 3 for 12, so they're one fourth of their percentage, 25% on third down. The Patriots, 5 for 16. The Browns over 1 on fourth down. The Patriots a perfect 2 for 2 on fourth down. The Patriots had 318 total yards of offense to the Browns, 310. Of the 310 for the Browns, it was 151 through the air, 159 on the ground. For the Patriots, 318. It was 239 through the air, 79 yards of the ground. The defense was there. On the offensive line, on the on the defensive line for the Browns, they were shutting down and getting to Tom Brady, but he was just throwing dimes. He always throws dimes, and he's such a pocket awareness player. It says a lot, absolutely says a lot. The Browns penalties killed them again. Thirteen penalties for eighty-five yards. The Patriots four penalties, thirty-two yards in the game. The Browns turned over the football 3 times, two fumbles, one interception which cost them games. The Patriots had no turnovers in the game. They led in possession with 32 minutes and 15 seconds. The Browns 27 minutes and 45 seconds. So the Browns fall in Foxborough in a rainy Foxborough and giving Bill Belichick his 300th win. As a professional coach, his first win was against was with the Cleveland Browns as a head coach and was against the New England Patriots, he now returns the favor as the New England Patriots head coach and wins against the Browns. Isn't that that a coincidence? And I'm going to say this right now. I I was criticized a little bit by a couple of friends of mine that I, I made this comment for, and I'm going to say it right now. If Freddie Kitchens is our guy... He's got to stop making the play calls. He has to. He has to stop making the play. Let the offensive coordinator make the calls. And let him make the make the decisions whether or not to run the play. Because if he wants to do play calling and everything like that, Freddie, you're 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 better as an offensive or defensive coordinator. That's that's pretty simple. And then we need to get a new head coach. But this is just ridiculous. It feels like to me that Freddie is like he won a contest. He's won a contest to be the head coach of the Browns. And Jimmy Haslam has said, you know what, stay out there. You're doing a good job. And I think about, I thought about it for a while and I'm saying to myself, who's out there? Who is out there? For the Browns to go higher. Because nothing's coming off the top of my head. Absolutely nobody's coming off the top of my head. But it's a young team. And it has to learn. It has to rebuild. It has to build. And it starts this upcoming Sunday. As they go to Denver. The mile high. To take on a struggling Broncos team. That's also struggling. And now without Joe Flacco. We'll see. And we'll dive more into that as well on the NFL Recap, which is starting right here in just a second. But until then, this is Andy Elford. As you're listening to all Andy Elford right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And now let's hit that NFL Recap for you. Let's take a look around the NFL for Week 8. The NFL has started off this past Thursday night as Minnesota Welcomed in the Washington Football Club. And Minnesota getting a big win, 19-9 to over the Washington Football Club. And uh, Kirk Cousins having a good game for them. And so we get to the Sunday slate. in Seattle with Russell Wilson. Again, a big game for him. Uh, Atlanta kept it close with Matty Ice. But in the end, it was the Seahawks the winner, 27-21 to over the Atlanta Falcons. How about Philadelphia going up to Buffalo? and beating Josh Allen and the and the Buffalo Bills 31 to 13 unbelievable. Chicago's in trouble my friends. Mitchell Trubisky is not I don't think right in the right mindset after his injury. I don't think, you know, and Nagy doesn't know the right play calling situation when it comes to that, but I think Trubisky's in trouble as they fell to the Chargers. By a score of seventeen to sixteen, this past Sunday at Soldier Field, Tennessee, with Marcus Mariota getting the big win over Tampa Bay, twenty-seven to twenty-three, and and Adam Vinatieri kicking a fifty-two-yard field goal with twenty seconds to go in the fourth quarter, beating the Denver Broncos fifteen to thirteen, and now the Broncos are without Joe Flacco. He. Uh, he had an injury in the game. He's going to be out next week. Uh, he took a big lick at the end of the game, uh, which he just got rocked, and it it showed. And he fall uh, and the Broncos fall fifteen to thirteen to the Indianapolis Colts. The Rams a big winner, twenty four to ten over the Bongles. It was New Orleans with Drew Brees coming back in and it's less like Drew Brees has never left before. The Saints, a big win, 31-9 over Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. It was Jacksonville, a 29-15 win over the J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets! San Francisco, a huge win, beating the Carolina Panthers by a score of 51-13. They stay perfect. They keep pace with the Patriots as they beat the Browns 27-13, like we mentioned before. How about Oakland giving it to Houston in the game and then Houston would uh and JJ Watt goes down with an injury in this game. And Winston steps up to the plate, hits a home run. Wins the game for Houston. And I'm not talking the Astros, I'm talking about the Texans. Gets that late gets the the late field goal and they beat the Raiders. By a score of 27-24. The Sunday night game saw what we were hoping was going to be uh, Patrick Mahomes versus Aaron Rodgers. But Mahomes out with the injury. He was on the sidelines. And it was all Aaron Rodgers as the Green Bay Packers beat the Kansas City Chiefs by a score of 31-24. And then Monday night football saw Pittsburgh hosting the Miami Dolphins. Fitzmagic coming back into the game 14-0 after the end of the first quarter and then the then you let the Steelers back in the game and they just turned on the heat and that was the end of the story. The Steelers getting a 27 to 14 win over the Dolphins. So now we get into week 9 of this NFL slate. It'll start Thursday night as San Francisco, a perfect 7 and 0 head into the desert to take on Arizona and Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals I will Let's say Jimmy G. I'll take Jimmy G all the way. I'll take the 49ers in the game. Looking at the slate of games going forward this upcoming Sunday. Of course, uh, it's a Monday. Sunday is the another London game for you. Houston heads into Jacksonville. A 9.30 in the morning kickoff on NFL Network. I'm going to take Houston in the game for that one. Um, so we'll see what happens with that other slated games going forward. So those are the two early games. Of course, you'll get most of the picks going forward on our Twitter account as well as on Facebook. Um, And we'll get into some of the what's going to happen with the program later on on the podcast, on our housekeeping portions here in just a little bit. But uh, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it right now. Week 9 Predictions. Buffalo is at home against the Washington Football Club. I'll take the Bills to beat the Washington Football Club. Kansas City hosts Minnesota. It's just a good game. It's just a toss-up game to me. I'm going to take the Vikings over the Chiefs. Miami 0-7. Welcome in the J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. I think they will get the win this week. I take the Dolphins over the Jets. Philadelphia welcomes in Mitro Trubisky and the Chicago Bears. I don't think he's going to be quite ready again after the the performance he had against the Chargers. I'll take Philadelphia in that one. 1 o'clock kickoff sees Indianapolis going into Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. I'm going to take Indianapolis in the game. I think uh, the rallying cry for Pittsburgh is there, but I, I just don't see it. I really don't see it. Um let's see here. You also have Tennessee heading into Carolina to take on the Panthers. I'll take Tennessee in that game. The late game looks like this. Tampa Bay is in Seattle to take on the Seahawks. I'll take the Seahawks in that game. Green Bay heads into LA to take on the Chargers. I'll take Green Bay in that one. The Sunday night game sees Tom Brady and the New England Patriots a perfect 8-0 heading into Baltimore take take on Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. The Brady, rant, Brady wagon continues to roll. They'll go 9-0. I will take the Patriots in that game. Monday night football sees Dallas heading into New York to battle the G-Men again. Again, I say feed it to Zeke. Dak's going to be good. I'll take the boys. So which sets up this upcoming week, of course, and we'll first start with the Lions. The Lions head in 405 kickoff on Fox. It'll be the Lions taking on the Raiders. In Oakland. I'll take the Lions. I think the Lions will get to above five hundred. John Green won't have his crew ready for this one. I'll take the Lions to beat the Raiders. Denver. 425 kickoff on CBS welcomes in Baker Mayfield and the the, Chicago, not the Chicago, but the Cleveland Browns. I'm going to take the Browns. I think the Browns are going to be better and with no Joe Flacco, I think that they'll have a pretty easy run for that one. So you got a little bit of a surprise tonight. Week 9 predictions on a Tuesday night. Why not? As you're listening to all ADL for tonight, right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And now let's continue to hit the gridiron and let's talk a little college football and let's let's dive into it. Let's why why did Bowling Green get bucked by the Broncos? So this past Saturday, Bowling Green traveled up to Kalamazoo, Michigan to take on Western Michigan and I figured that this game after watching Western Michigan play Toledo a few weeks ago before the Toledo beating in Bowling Green by the way Toledo got beat by Toledo, by Bowling Green in the game 20 to 7 um I figured Western was going to be tough but I didn't expect us to be this bad in this game absolutely terrible. Levante Bellamy torched us. Absolutely torched us. He torched Toledo and he just ripped us a new one. He alone scored four of the seven touchdowns Bowling Green gave up. The only bright spot in the game for Bowling Green was that we had the lead after the end of the first quarter? We were up three to nothing at halftime, at the first end of the first quarter. And I said, No, we maybe stay with them," but then twenty-one unanswered points by Western Michigan in the game, two of which were by Bellamy, and then Devon Tucker. And at halftime we were down 21 to 3. And Leffler had some problems in this game for himself. And I got to agree with him on this. We'll hear the press conference for previewing Akron here in just a second. He talks about the Western Michigan game, and I agree with him on a couple things. One, he played his he played to score points and put Points on the board. Should have ran the clock out, you know, making it only fourteen to three at the end of the at the end of the first half. But no, he went for the points, failed for it, and it cost them. And they were down twenty one to three at halftime, and then it just did not get any better. Bellamy torched the secondary in the third quarter. Just absolutely roasted us. It was 28 3 on a 75 yard run. It was goal of the house. Danley had a good game. He he did have some bright spots. He had a nine yard touchdown run. But again, Bellamy, four touchdowns in the game for himself. Skyler Moore, a great cast from John Winsick. And the Broncos destroy Bowling Green by a score of 49-10. to 10. Grant Lloyd, 18 for 26, 136 yards in total. No touchdowns. He had two picks in the game. This was not his best game, but he was the leading rusher. He had 11 carries for 62 yards. Dantley, 8 carries, 48 yards, 1 TD. The only touchdown of the game. For Bowling Green, Marlowe. 5 catches, 57 yards. Quentin Moores, 8 catches, 56 yards. Dantley, 4 catches, 21 yards. Winsick, 15 for 23 for Western Michigan. 175 for 1 TD, no interceptions. Bellamy, 17 touches. 178 total yards, 4 TDs in the game. Tucker, 13 carries, 91 yards, 1 TD in the game. Tyler. 17 carries, 85 yards, one TD in the game. And it shows you that the offensive the defensive line is not ready. And it's totally, totally young. Winsick himself, the quarterback, two carries for 20 yards. Moore had five catches for 76 yards, one TD in the game. Ricci, five catches, 56 yards, no TDs in the game. Crooms, two catches, 17 yards in the game. Here's the stats for you, and this is what's going to get you really fired up. Bowling Green had 14 first downs to Western Michigan's 20. On third down, the brown and orange was 4 for 11. Western Michigan, 11 for 16. They failed five times on third down. They were also perfect, almost near perfect on fourth down. Two for three. The Falcons did not go for it on fourth down. Of the total yards, Bowling Green had 266 total yards, 136 to the air from Grant Lloyd, 130 on the ground. Western Michigan in total, 574 total yards, 140, 75 to the air, 399 total yards on the ground. That defensive line is not getting it. This is a rebuild. I I just keep saying to myself, this is a rebuilding year. 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 And hypothetically, speaking, and I'm just going to spit this off, we would have won this game today. We would have won this game on Saturday. Excuse me. Four of the next five, four of the next game, four, the final four games of the season are against divisional opponents. Would have won this game. It would have been three, three and five. Two opponents we could probably beat. Four, five. Pull an upset against Ohio or Buffalo. We could be bowl eligible. We could honestly be full eligible. But, you know, it's a rebuild. It's a rebuild. Both teams have four penalties for 40 yards. The Falcons' two interceptions were the costly. They were the two turnovers in the game. Western Michigan had no turnovers. The Falcons had 23 minutes and two seconds of total possession time. Western Michigan, 36 minutes and 58 seconds. So Bowling Green absolutely destroyed at Western Michigan Bellamy torturing us again. And so now we have to pick up and move on. We get ready for Akron this upcoming week and you'll hear an Akron is a team that is absolutely desperate. They have not yet won a football game this season, folks. Akron lost this past week to NIU by a score of 49 to nothing. Uh, for the first time this season since week one, Bowling Green is the favorite in the game by only six points going into this upcoming Saturday's meeting against Akron. And looking at some of the overall stats, Nielsen, this season, he is he has completed 105 passes out of 183 attempts. He has 1,267 total yards. He has eight touchdowns and three interceptions. Their leading running back is Lee. He has 53 carries for 157 yards. The wide receiving core we have to worry about is Stewart, who's 31 receptions for 437 yards this season. He has three touchdowns in this young season. Looking at it overall, Bowling Green total yards is 334.1 total yards. Akron usually averages about 273.5. They only allow 400. Wolling Green allows 485 yards. And Akron only allows 404 yards. Uh, Looking at the last five for Akron. They lost to NIU last week. 49 to nothing. They got beat by Buffalo 21 to nothing. Kent State they lost 26 to 3. They played UMass at UMass. And they lost 37 to 29. And they lost to Troy 35 to 7. The last five for Bowling Green, of course, with the loss against Western Michigan this past week, 49 to 10. They get beat by Central Michigan 38 to 20. The big win over Toledo with a 20 to 7 win. Before, but before that game, they lost to 9th ranked Notre Dame by a score of 52 to nothing. Uh Bowling Green averages about uh they allow only 37.3 points per game. Akron 35.8 points per game. Bowling Green points per game are usually 15.4. Akron is usually 10.8. The money line looks like this if you're looking towards making the money line. Uh, The money line is a plus to Akron at 195. Bowling Green is the negative 235. The spread is 6 points in favor of Bowling Green. The over-under is 50.5. So looking at it, It's going to be interesting to see how it's going to shape out for Bowling Green. Of course, right here every Tuesday, you get to hear the head coach of our Bowling Green State University Falcons, Scott Leffler. Scott talks about Akron and what they have to look forward to, as well as, as we get closer to the end of the season, who he wants to see develop a little bit more and how he feels about his team and the youth that his team has. So, a courtesy of YouTube.com with the Bowling Green Athletic Department. Here is, the, here is the Monday presser from head coach Scott Leffler of the Bowling Green State University Falcons.
1: Watching the tape, uh, we felt uh, as a staff on both sides of the ball and special teams, uh, we lost the game up front. Uh, their front seven and uh, their offensive line uh, were outstanding in my opinion. Uh, like I said earlier in the week. Uh, I envision, uh, after uh, development and through recruiting, that our offense and defensive fronts looked like that. They were big, they were strong. Uh, we were overwhelmed. Our kids hung in there for the first quarter and a half. And then uh, after that uh, uh, quarter and a half, I thought we were overwhelmed by the strength and power of both fronts. And uh, we were uh, we got ourselves caught in a whirlwind after uh, right before the half, just like I said. Uh, it would have been—it wouldn't have been the most popular idea, but uh, I said it at half or at the end of the game that I thought we should have uh, ran the football, got out of the half, uh, 14-3. Um, we're not wired right now to to go the distance in a two-minute situation. We will be in the future. Uh, I've always thought that you need to be aggressive uh, at those end-of-half situations because they normally dictate a game. But in that situation, we should have. Uh, uh, run the football, got back to the locker room, 14-3. And from that point on, as soon as they scored right before half, we spiraled. And um, we, lost, uh, we lost the game up front on both sides, particularly after the half. Any questions?
0: After this week, they are 0-8. Uh, do you expect
1: to meet a desperate football team? Oh, without a doubt. Uh, I said to our kids, uh, today uh, that uh, it's going to be the team with the best mentality, best attitude, Monday through Friday, and which team shows up on Saturday is going to dictate this game. Um, We're in a very similar situation in Akron. They're in a a rebuild also. Uh, Some things haven't gone right in their favor. They're banged up. They've got injuries, just like we do, and it's going to be the team. They just had a a very tough road game similar to us. It's going to be our mentality versus their mentality this week. And the team that has the best practice, the best mentality, the best attitude, and the one that shows up is going to be the winner in this game. It's very uh, Two very similar situations with uh, us and them. When there are similar situations like that, do you feel like it's a, a battle of, of who wants to prove that they're rebuilding better at this point? No, not at all. That's, that's not the kids' responsibility about a rebuild. It's ours as a staff with recruiting and building mentality and building culture. This is a football game for them, and uh, they've, we've had a lot of things that didn't go our way this year as well as they have, and uh, it's a mentality. It's an attitude. It's who wants to, uh, who wants to win the game more, period. End. And uh, that's got to be shown, though. Just like their football team, it's got to happen Monday through Friday, and they need to have great preparation. We need to have great preparation, and whoever prepares better, whoever shows up Saturday with the, with the right mindset and mentality is going to win the game. Even though Akron hasn't won a game yet, what is still something that jumps off at you on the tape that you guys got to handle? Yeah, they're, uh, when you look at it, uh, they haven't given up a lot of yardage like you would think for a team that hasn't won a game. Uh, there's not too many. Uh, I think there was one game that it was over 450 yards that they gave up. They're not giving up a lot of yardage. Um, I haven't got to the the red area in the third down portion of the tape yet Uh, So it'll be interesting to see but when you watch their open field first and second down tape You're not seeing a bunch of explosion plays. You're not seeing a bunch of uh, uh, Misfits in the run game. Uh, It looks like it's hard to move the ball against them So it's going to be very interesting to look at the situational football, uh, which we'll do today tonight tomorrow and Wednesday to see where they're giving these points up. So that's one thing that you can take from the, uh, from the uh, offensive side of the ball. Uh, their offense against our defense, I think the quarterback's dangerous. Uh, I think he has the ability to make a guy miss. And uh, anytime that you've got a dual threat guy the way he is, it's always problematic. Coach, over halfway through the season, um, I know you took a little bit of the fault for before the half against Western. What have
0: you learned about yourself as a coach this past the season?
1: Yeah, the uh, the ups and downs, and staying positive in, in tough situations. Uh, I'm a perfectionist. Our staff is a bunch of perfectionists, and it's. Um, it's winning the, the daily battles and staying positive, the, uh, which you uh, you have to do in these situations. That may, doesn't mean that you're you're settling or what have not, and your standards and expectations haven't changed. But uh, uh, to be negative and miserable all the time is not the way to go. And I've caught myself several times going down that path. I'm I've always been that way. If it's not right, I'm. Uh, I can go from 0 to 100 quick, but you got to look at the the positives that are occurring. There are positives. It's not all negative. We are improved. I said to our football team many times, if you looked at what we looked like on spring football number one to where we're at right now, it's night and day. Is it good enough to win yet? Absolutely not. We're not there yet. But there has been a lot of improvement, and we're not going to sit here and settle. And uh, to say that it's gonna be rosy in a, in a country club around here, that'll never occur, but you have to bring out some positive uh, and talk about some positive that's occurring. So that's been uh, the biggest challenge for me is staying positive whenever things aren't wired right. And uh, they're not gonna be perfect for, for a little bit now. So staying uh, positive, yet not folding and. And compromising your standards and expectations has been uh, a real challenge. So I've I've learned a lot in these last uh, particular three months. What do you say to yourself to talk yourself out of the negative? Oh, uh, you got to look at what's positive, and there there are like uh, you watched how Nico has been playing, uh, you watched the young freshmen and their development, and uh, so there's there is positive. Uh, you you look back, and I and I caught myself one time pulling up spring football number five and looking where we're at, it's it's not even close. I mean, it's not even in the hemisphere of how much we've improved. I've watched Grant uh, improve. So there's a lot of it. It's, it's still not the, to the standard and expectations that we, need, that we need to have and that it takes to win. Uh, so, you know, building building on some positive is important and uh, I've been working at that. Four days to go
0: and with the retro rules changing, start to get in guys mm-hmm. and not burn them. How do you plan on deploying with you guys? And how do you determine, like, what is the baseline between ready for the field
1: and not ready? Um, even yeah, that's sure. a that's that's a tough decision. And, uh, you know, you don't want to hurt your football team with a guy that's not ready to play, but you also want to get some experience. So we've got to be careful in how we go about that. Um, playing time is earned. And uh, we've uh, set the stage for many of those freshmen uh, a few weeks ago to say, hey, listen, if you want to play in these last last couple weeks and uh, earn some experience, you've got to earn it uh, on the practice field. So we're never going to give anyone anything. That's never going to occur. Um, if they've earned the right to play, they're going to play. Depth has been something that, you know, obviously you're not as deep as you want to be. How big have the younger guys been in stepping up and how big will they be? in this back half of the season? Yeah, the ones that uh, that have earned the right to play, it's really going to help us with our special teams depth. It is uh, – we've got guys that are playing way too many snaps, particularly on defense. So to be able to spell those guys will be very helpful. And, um, you know, we're a beat-up um, team right now that, that that needs depth. So we're hoping that uh, these freshmen have the ability to uh, – uh, to, uh, give us an opportunity to let them compete. But again, that's got to be earned. Uh, nothing's ever given here. But uh, I, I think you'll see some of those freshmen play in this later half to give us some depth and to give us some help. But they need to earn the right to play.
0: You mentioned mentality and attitude as a key for this week. Yep. Talking with Brandon after the Western game, he said he felt like, especially the defense, the energy was still high when we had a halftime. So how do you keep the guys on track?
1: Yeah, I I don't know if it was. I thought the the wind went out of our sails uh, at halftime. Uh, We did not play well in the second half at all on either side of the football. Uh, I thought uh, the the wind went out of our sails whenever uh, we decided to try to go score. Uh, And then we let Western Michigan come back and drive right down and score immediately. And, again, like I said, uh, once we're wired the right way. In that situation, on paper, you have to go for it because they're gonna have the ball coming uh, out of halftime. But uh, understanding where we're at as a football team, I did not do that and I did not handle that situation very well. Uh, it would have been extremely unpopular, I don't care. I could care less, but that was the best thing for our football team and we didn't do it. So uh, the, the wind went out of our sails when when we gave the ball back to Western Michigan and they scored right before half. That's when. Um, that's whenever the wind went out of our sails, and then it is dominated up front. If you watch the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, they dominated the second half. And just like I said, that's where I want to get. I want to get to the point where both sides of the line of scrimmage are dominated up front. Um, They've done a great job recruiting. We need to get bigger, stronger, faster. We need to recruit big guys that are big and powerful and strong and uh, have enough skill guys around them to take care of the ball, and that's how you win. Period. And you win up front. You win with a with a quarterback, and you find a couple of guys that can make a couple of plays that can score. It's not very complicated. But right now, uh, our front was dominated on both sides of the ball. No, there's no question. No ifs ands or buts. That's what that's what occurred.
0: When you guys are hitting some of those benchmarks, though, like bringing intensity, maybe not getting as many penalties, converting on the daily double, and you still don't get the result you want. How do you
1: keep the guys on track and still? Well, play? if you really look at it. We've we've only won when we've won the daily double, and uh, that's got to that's got to continue. And uh, you know we got to just like I said, it's uh, there's battles that you got to win before you're going to win the line of scrimmage. There's a lot of battles that are occurring that needs to occur in practice and needs to occur in the off season. There's a lot of things that that uh, that lead up to uh, what the game's supposed to look like, and that's where I got to stay positive. You know we're not necessarily getting some of the results that we want right now. But uh, to be have intelligence, to be smart, you gotta win some battles that people don't see right now in order to give yourself a chance to win a game. And uh, some of our kids right now have really bought into that. Uh, some haven't, and we gotta get all of them to buy into. We gotta win these these battles before we uh, before we give ourselves a chance to win a game like Western Michigan and to to be consistent. So. But there's, that's where the positives that no one sees. That's where uh, I've got to highlight and do a really good job of staying positive with that. Does that mean our standards and expectations are going to change? No, they're absolutely not. We're gonna. If we see a guy not hustling, you're gonna know you're not hustling. So uh, there's a fine line.
0: So you just heard Scott Leffler and his comments. Bowling Green goes home to take on Akron this upcoming Saturday. 2.30 kickoff, to be 2 o'clock kickoff. You can watch that game on ESPN Plus or head down to Doit El Perry Stadium. Tickets are available by going to the Stroh Center box office or visiting the website bgsufalcons.com. As you are listening to All Deal for tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And now let's recap the full Week 9 Of this NCAA season. So let's take a look at week 9. Of this past NCAA football season. As uh, we started off on Thursday night. As 16th ranked SMU. Traveled into Houston. To battle the Cougars. And SMU with a big 34-31 win. So Saturday's slate looks like this. And the huge upset of the season so far my friends. As Kansas State after beating Bowling Green of course to start the season off, the second game of the year, they battled the 5th ranked Oklahoma Boomer Sooner's and gave it to Lincoln Riley and the Sooners. Kansas State with a huge win beating Oklahoma by a score of 48 to 41. Unbelievable. Appalachia State, twenty-first ranked in the country, beats uh, USA thirty to three. LSU, a big twenty-three to twenty win over Auburn. It was Texas Tech beating not Texas Tech, but Texas TCU, Texas Christian University, beating Texas thirty-seven to twenty-seven, and knocking off the fifteenth-ranked Longhorns. Oklahoma State, a big thirty-four to twenty-seven win over Matt Campbell. And the Iowa State uh, Cyclones. The Alabama Crimson Tide. Roll Tide! Bama continued and their tirade as they beat Arkansas by a score of 48-7. Clubs had a big 59-7 win over Boston College. UCLA pulling the upset. Beating Herm Edwards and the Arizona State Sun Devils by a score of 42-32. It was the U- Utah getting a big 35 to nothing win over Cal, Utah 12th ranked in the country. Oregon, a big 37-35 to win over Old Crimson in Washington State. Well, looking at some of the Big Ten games, of course, before we get into, get in too deep, let's take a look at Ohio State. Ohio State, a big game this past weekend as they took on Wisconsin. A huge game. And, you know, it was a struggle. It was a dogfight most of the game. And I I, I tell you, you know, this Chase Young is turning out to me, for me, being maybe a possibly number one or number two pick. Absolutely dominant. A great game for this kid. Had four sacks in the game. And early on, it was nothing-nothing after the first quarter. And then Ohio State turned on the Jets. In the second quarter. J.K. Dobbins rushing for a couple touchdowns in the game. And it was 10 nothing at the halftime. Ohio State routed and beat Bucky Badger 38-7 to in front of a rainy, soaked crowd at the Horseshoe. Good game for Ohio State in this game. Uh, Hubbard was the leading person in the first qu- second quarter, getting a field goal. Chase Olaf, a 27-yard pass from Justin Fields, and made it 10 nothing. AJ Taylor, a 26-yard pass from Jake Cohen, making it 7 to 10 in favor of Ohio State. And then Fields, a 10-yard run, and then Dobbins, a nine-yard run, and then it was Dobbins again with a 14-yard run, and Olaf getting a 40-yard touchdown pass as Ohio State again, like I said, beating Wisconsin. 38-7. to For Fields in the game, he was a solid, absolutely solid, 12 for 22, 167, two TDs in the game. In a game where they weren't throwing the ball as often because of the rainy conditions, it was mostly a running game as J.K. Dobbins had 20 carries for 163 yards, two TDs in the game. Fields, 13 carries for 28 yards, one TD in the game. Alev, uh, seven catches, 93 yards, two, touch, two touchdowns in the game. J.K. Dobbins, three catches, 58 yards, no TDs in the game. For Cohen, he was 10 for 17, 108 total yards passing, one touchdown in the game. Taylor had 20 carries for 52 yards. Kronschak, two catch carries for 28 yards as well. Kepes, three catches, 57 yards, no TDs. A.J. Taylor, two catches, 29 yards, one TD in the game. Davis, the third, one catch, eight yards in the game. Looking at the overall stats of the game, Ohio State had 24 first downs to Wisconsin's 9. 9. Count it on one hand. 9 first downs. On third down, Ohio State was 9 for th- 14. Wisconsin, 4 for thir- uh, four for 13 for Wisconsin. 9 for 14 on third down for Ohio State. And on fourth down, Wisconsin was 1 for 2. Ohio State did not go for it on fourth down. Ohio State had 431 total yards of offense 167 through the air, 264 on the ground. For Wisconsin, they had 191 total yards of offense. Of that 191, 108 through the air, 83 on the ground. Unbelievable. Two penalties, 15 yards for Ohio State. Three penalties, 30 yards for Wisconsin. Wisconsin had two fumbles in the game, which cost them as they had two turnovers the game. Ohio State did not have a, a turnover in the game. Ohio State led in the possession at 31 minutes and 58 seconds to Wisconsin's 28 point, 28 minutes and 2 seconds. So Ohio State, a big win. They get to buy this upcoming week and then they will head into Maryland to take on the Terps. And let's talk about another team, of course. A big game, a big primetime game and let's talk about Michigan. Michigan welcomed in the 8th ranked Notre Dame finding Irish. And I'll say this. I thought it was going to be a close game. I really did. But Michigan just routed the Irish. Beat them with their own shillelagh. Michigan. With Zach Charbonnet running it. And Shea Patterson throwing it. As 19th ranked Michigan. Routes Notre Dame by a score of 45 to 14. Moody Jake Moody getting the scoring started with a with a field goal in the first quarter it was three nothing Michigan. Charbonnet with a seven yard run in the second quarter making it ten to nothing and he continued it on later on in that same quarter with another touchdown run. It was 17 to 10 at halftime. Before Cole Komet getting a seven yard pass from Ian Book making it 17 to seven in favor of Michigan but then Donovan Peoples Jones an 8-yard touchdown pass from Shea Patterson making it 24 to 7 and then Nico Collins 16 16-yard touchdown pass from Shane Patterson making it 31 to 7 True Wilson 27-yard touchdown run making it 38 to 7 and then it was pretty much it uh Javin McKinley 14-yard pass making it 14 to 45 in favor of Michigan, and that was the final. As Michigan routes Notre Dame 45 to 14. Looking at the overall box score in this game, Ian Book eight for 25. I'm an Irish fan. I'm, I'm shaking my head at this one. One touchdown, no interception in the game. Provac three for four, 60 yards, one TD in the game. Uh, Kelly did not was not very happy about Ian Book's performance in this game. Uh, Smith, 5 catches, 5 carries for 15 yards. Jones Jr., 8 cat carries for 14 yards in the game. Ian Book has 6 carries for 13 yards of the game. McKinley, 2 catches, 42 yards, 1 TD. Uh, Claypool, four, 2 catches, 42 yards. Komet, 2 catches, 25 yards, 1 TD in the game. For the Michigan Wolverines, it was Shane Patterson, uh, 6 for 12 for 100 yards, 2 TDs in the game. Dylan McCaffrey, 2-for-2, two two, 34 yards, 1 TD in the game. Uh, Jimmy was very happy with the performance of Shane Patterson and McCaffrey together. Haskins, 20 carries for 149 yards, no TDs in the game. But Bay 15 carries, 74 yards, 2 TDs in the game. Wilson, 6 carries, 45 yards, 1 TD in the game. the Peoples-Jones, 2 catches, 28 yards, 1 TD in the game. Collins, 1 catch, 16 yards, 1 TD in the game. Saltries, 3 catches, 73 yards, 1 TD in the game. Looking at the overall stats at this game, it was Notre Dame with 12 first downs to Michigan's 23. On third down, Michigan was 4 for 13. The Irish were 3 for 15. On fourth down, the Irish were 0 for 1. Passing-wise and total yard-wise, Michigan had 437 total yards of offense, 134 through the air, 303 on the ground. For the Irish, they had 180 total yards of offense, 133 through the air, 47 yards on the ground. Unbelievable. They average only 1.5 yards a rush. I had to say that attempt. And they attempt uh, 31 attempts for 47 yards. Unbelievable. Seven penalties, 62 yards in favor of the Irish. Four penalties, 50 yards for the maize and blue. They had two fumbles in the game. The Irish did no turnovers. Four. Michigan in the game. They also let Michigan lead into the possessions with 34 minutes and 37 seconds, the Irish 25 minutes and 23 seconds. So Michigan a big routing win. They now go to Maryland to play the Terps before the Terps go to host the um host the um, the Buckeyes. So Michigan goes to Maryland noon kickoff this upcoming Saturday. Rest of the Big Ten looks like this: Iowa, big twenty to nothing win over Northwestern. It was Illinois a twenty-four to six win over Purdue? Rutgers beats Liberty by a score of forty-four to thirty-four. How about Penn State going into Sparty Stadium and beating the Spartans twenty-eight to seven? And there is some trouble, my friends, at MSU. Um, Mark D'Antonio is in the hot seat, my friends. I. I, I I love D'Antonio. He's a great coach, winningest coach in football history for this program. But he's in trouble. Absolutely in trouble. PJ Fleck and the Minnesota Golden Gophers are perfect in the West as they're with their big fifty-two to ten win over Maryland. Maryland, Nebraska falls to Indiana by a score of thirty-eight to thirty-one in Week Nine of the college football spectrum. Looking at the Mid-American Conference from Week 9, besides Bowling Green's being routed in Western Michigan, it looked like this. It was Ohio, a big 34-21 win over Ball State. NIU beating Akron by a score of 49-0, like I mentioned earlier. Buffalo, a 43-20 win over Central Michigan. Miami of Ohio, a 23-16 win over. Over Kent State. So we get into the other team that is in the Mid-America Conference. And of course a big matchup against Eastern Michigan versus Toledo. Toledo getting routed last week by Ball State. Had to make a comeback in this one. And they did make a comeback. It was a dogfight. It was an absolute dogfight. It had to go to overtime and Toledo pulls it out by a score of 37-34 to 34 in the game. Looking at the overall stats in the game, Eli Peters, 9 for 18, 138 yards, 2 TDs in the game. Uh, Kovac had 32 carries for 259 yards. He led in the touchdowns with 2 TDs. Uh, Seymour had 21 carries for 94 yards, 1 TD in the game. McKinley, Two catches, 85 yards, no TDs. Mitchell, two catches, 22 yards, one TD in the game. Rosie, one catch, 15 yards, one TD in the game. Glass, the third for Eastern Michigan, was 21 for 37, 286, one TD, no interception in the game. Van, 20 catches, 110, two TDs in the game. Glass, the third, had 12 carries for 43 yards, one TD in the game. Jackson, the third, was the leading touchdown receiver for the Eastern Michigan Eagles with a with four catches, 73 yards, one tee in the game. But Quentin Williams was the leading receiver, and he had nine receptions for 87 yards in the game. Looking at the overall stats of this game, Toledo had 23 first downs to Eastern Michigan's 22. Oh, on third down, Toledo was 11 for 18. Eastern Michigan, 6 for 15. Both teams, 1 for 2 on fourth down. Toledo had 504 total yards of offense, 138 through the air, 366. On the ground for Eastern Michigan, they had 454 total yards of offense, 286 through the air, 168 on the ground, 8 penalties for 84 yards for the University of Toledo, 5 penalties 52 yards for Eastern Michigan, 2 fumbles in the game for Toledo in the game, 1 fumble for Eastern Michigan, that was the turnover ratio, and on possession arrow, Toledo had 33 minutes and 57 seconds of possession. Eastern, 26 minutes and 3 seconds. The game-winning play, of course, like I mentioned before, it went into overtime. It was uh, Drew Rosie getting the 15-yard pass from Eli Peters on four plays, 25 yards, scoring the touchdown to win it for Toledo, 37-34 to over Eastern Michigan. But Brian Kovac was the main point of that game. He had a total of 259 total yards of running offense. So that is week nine of the college football spectrum. What does this mean for the rankings? Of course. Uh looking at the top 25. Well, let's let's look at the Mid-America Conference standings right now. Going into this week's play. Of course, nothing much has changed at the top of the spectrum when it comes. Well, actually, let's look at the top 25, and we have some major shake-ups to talk about. Of course. Being the number one overall record, overall seed, number one overall in the coaches' poll and the AP poll, LSU is number one in a perfect eight. No, they overtake it. They overtake it. Alabama at number one. Alabama is now number two. Ohio State goes to three. Clemson goes to four. Penn State moves up one spot to number five. Florida moves up one spot to number six. Oregon moves up 4 spots to number 7. The Georgia Bulldogs move up 2 spots to number 8. The U- Utah goes up 3 spots to number 9. Oklahoma falls 5 spots to 10th. Auburn falls 2 spots to 11. It was Baylor moving up 2 spots to 12. Minnesota moves up 4 spots to 13. Michigan moves up 5 spots to 14th. SMU f- goes up 1 spot to 15th. Notre Dame falls 8 spots to 16th while the Bobcats of Cincinnati, Terran Brands, Bearcats go down to 17th ranked in the country at 6-1. Wisconsin, after their loss, fall 5 spots to 18th. Iowa moves up a spot to 19th. Appalachian State moves up a spot to 20th. Uh, Boise State goes to 21st. They're 6-1. Kansas State, with their upset win, go now into the rankings at 22nd ranked in the country. Wake Forest a 20 or 23rd rank. They move up two spots. Memphis 24th. And San Diego State goes to 25th overall. Looking at the standings in the Mid-American Conference going into this week's play. Looks like this. Uh, in the East bracket, of course. Looks like this. Uh, Ohio is. If I'm not mistaken, right here, as my system is just uploading me because I was not prepared for not prepared for to give you guys ah here it is right here. It is Toledo on not Toledo on top, but Ohio on top at three and one overall conference play four and four overall. Miami of Ohio three and one as well. They're four and four overall. Buffalo two and two, four and four overall. Kent State two and two overall, three and five, two and two in conference play, three and five overall. Bowling Green one and three, two and six overall. Akron zero oh and four and zero oh and eight overall. In the West, Ball State three and one, four and four overall. Western Michigan is three and two in conference play, five and four overall. Central Michigan is five and excuse me three and two, five and four overall. Toledo two and two and th- five and three overall. NiU two and two, three and five overall in Eastern Michigan. One and three, four and four overall in this college football season. As you're listening to All the for tonight, right here on the Anchor Network, and that is with the plethora of platforms, of course, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. However, you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening. Thank you for tuning in. And now let's hit the ice. Let's talk a little jackets, a little fish, and a little clones. It's time to fire the cannon. And it's time to put on your jackets. It's time for the Jackets Report, right here on All Andy Alfred. So now, time for the Jackets report. Like you just heard before, the Jackets a big week as they got a, a big win last Monday against the Toronto Maple Leafs. They were looking to continue the streak as they welcomed in to Nationwide Arena the Carolina Hurricanes, the bunch of jerks, and the Jackets getting a big win in overtime, setting it up, setting it up for as Cam Atkinson getting his win, getting the goal and beating Liner. And we'll get into that here in just a second. But it started off in the first period with Alexander Textier getting his second goal of the season from Benstrom and Nash. It was one nothing in favor of the Jackets. And then Dougie Hamilton tying the game at 1 apiece. His sixth of the season from Fogner and Sylvine. And it was tied at 1, not even a minute, and a minute and 10 minutes later in the first period. And then Carolina went off. Ryan dezingle the former Jack getting his third of the season beating going' Corpusalo and it was two nothing Carolina before then then Sebastian Ajo, his third of the season from from Plesic and Walmart and it's three1 Carolina after 20 minutes of play and I'm saying to myself oh here we go they gave it up again and here's the funny thing I was in I was at a gas station I was listening to the game I was coming back from a dinner. I was listening to the game. I go in to get gas and a soda and everything like that. Come back, pump the gas, get back in the car, and it was 3-1. And I had to go look at the highlights because of that. And I said, oh, God, here we go. The Jackets are falling apart after a good week against Toronto. They're falling apart now against Carolina. And boy, did I doubt me wrong. Ryan Murray getting his first of the season in the second period from Boone, Jenner, and David Savard. And it was 3-2 Carolina before it's always sunny in Columbus. Gets his second of the season from David Savard and Ryan Murray. And we're tied at three after 40 minutes of play. And that's what it stood all the way to the thir- through the third period. We went to overtime. And in overtime, Cam Atkinson getting his third goal of the season. Getting a beautiful pass play to Pierre from Pierre-Luc Dubois in overtime. Getting the Jackets, propelling the Jackets to a victory. Beating the Carolina Hurricanes by a score of 4-3 in overtime. The Jackets getting a big win at home. Uh, the number one star was Ryan Murray. The number two star, Cam Atkinson, David Savard. The number three star shots on the goal in the game went to the Jackets at 31 shots, and then to Carolina's 24. The Jackets were 60% on the faceoff dot to Carolina's 40%. Both teams over on the power play. The the uh, the Hurricanes had six minutes in penalties. The Jackets had eight minutes of penalties. Carolina out-hit the Jackets 21 to 16. The Jackets had more blocks, 19 blocks to 12 blocks in the game. For Jonas Corposalo in the game. For the Jackets, he had a good game. For him, uh, it was actually uh, Peter Mrazek was the starter for the Hurricanes. He stopped twenty-seven of thirty-one. His save percentage of point eight seven one for the Jackets. Corpusallo stopping twenty-one of twenty-four. His save percentage of point eight seven five So the Jackets a big win, beating the Hurricanes four to three. Then on Saturday, they traveled to the city of brotherly love to take on. The Philadelphia Flyers and overall it looked like it was going to be a good game for the Jackets. It was a dogfight back and forth. Jakub Vorchek getting his third goal of the season starting off the scoring at the 14:51 mark of the first period. It was one nothing Philly before Boone Jenner. Some goals make you want to go Boone. His second of the season from Sonny Milano and Zach Attack woritsky His third assist of the season tying the game at one apiece after 20 minutes of play. Pierre Luc Dubois starting it off for the Jackets in the second period. His fifth of the season from Gustav Nyquist and Seth Jones, making it 2 1 in favor of the Jackets. Before then, James Van Reemsdijk, his second of the season from Golshablev and Jakub Voracek, tying the game at two apiece. Before then, excuse me, before the end of the period, it was Boone Jenner getting his third goal of the season, his second of the night from Josh Anderson and Sonny Milano. And it was 3-2 Jackets going into the third period. Josh Anderson getting another goal, making it 4-2 CBJ. His first of the season from Dean Kukin and Gartoff at the two-thirteen mark of the third period. And then it happened. It just happened. A total of five unanswered goals from Philadelphia. In the third period, Gosvier, his first. Rand his third, tying the game on a tip-in shot by Prolovov and Voracek. Then Kevin Hayes, his fourth of the season, 5-4 Philadelphia. I said, I said, well, we're going to lose this game. And then Rafi getting his third from Hayes, making it 6-4. And then on the power play, Thomas Kineski, his fifth of the season. And Philadelphia beats the Jackets 7 to 4. Van Reis the number 1 star, Kevin Hayes the number 2 star, Warcheck the number 3 star. Philly had 46 shots on net to Columbus's 26. They led in the faceoff dot 64% to 35%. Philly was 2 for 4 on the power play, Columbus 0 oh for 5. They had ten minutes in penalties. Columbus did. Philadelphia had twelve minutes in penalties. The Jackets out hitting the Flyers twenty three to twenty two. They lost let it blocks seventeen to seven. The Jackets started Jonas Korpusal. He stopped thirty nine of forty five. His save percentage of .87 in the game for the Flyers. It was uh, Elliott stopping twenty two of twenty six. His save percentage of point eight four six. So the Jackets fall in Philadelphia. Tortorella was not happy after the game with that one. So The Jackets are are off. They will be back on the ice on the 30th, which is tomorrow. They will welcome in Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers on the 30th. And then on November 1st, which is Friday, they'll travel to see the defending Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues at 8 o'clock. Puck drop for that one. The next night, they come back home to Nationwide Arena to welcome in the Calgary Flames. Uh, 7 o'clock puck drop for that one on Saturday night. Looking at the rest of the schedule for the Jackets, they will then have a, two days off and then they welcome in the Vegas Golden Knights on the 5th of November 2019 before a long road trip out to Arizona for at a 9 o'clock drop and Colorado at a 9 o'clock drop next Saturday night. So, the Jackets, it'll be interesting to see what happens with them going forward. So looking at the slate from yesterday, Monday night, it was a light slate. Arizona wins in a shootout, beating the Buffalo Sabres 3-2. Florida falls to Vancouver by a score of 7-2. Tonight on the docket, a full slate of games. Washington is in Toronto to take on the Maple Leafs. Winnipeg is in Anaheim to take on the Ducks. Nashville hosts the Chicago Blackhawks. It will be San Jose into Boston to take on the Bruins. Philadelphia is in Pittsburgh to take on the take on the Penguins. Carolina will welcome in the Calgary Flames, Edmonton before they come to Columbus on on the 30th tomorrow night. They go into Detroit tonight. Tampa Bay is in New York to tell on the New York Rangers, and it will be the Arizona, excuse me the Minnesota Wild taking on the Dallas Stars. Besides the Jacket game tomorrow I guess the Oilers. The game of the uh, the Wednesday Night Rivalry Game sees, Phil, uh, excuse me, sees Minnesota traveling in to St. Louis to take on the Blues. Other games sees Tampa on the road to play the Devils. Montreal is in Arizona to take on the Coyotes. The Canucks are in L.A. to take on the Kings. And the Panthers travel to Colorado to take on the Avalanche. at 10 o'clock puck drop for that one. That's an interesting start time in late 8 is me, a late 9 o'clock puck drop for that one right there. As you're listening to All Andy Alford tonight, right here on the Anchor Network, looking at the standings going into today's play, we'll look at the division race. We won't look at the playoff racing right now. In the Metropolitan Division is Washington in top spot at 8, 2, and 3 with 19 points. The Islanders are 8, 3, and 0 oh, with 16 points. Carolina is 7, 3, and 1 with 15 points overall. Uh, in fourth spot is the Pittsburgh Penguins at seven five and zero with fourteen points. Fifth is the Columbus Blue Jackets at five four and two with twelve points. Philadelphia five four and one with eleven points. The Rangers are three five and one with seven points, and the Devils are two five and two with six points. In the Atlantic Division, top spot right now is the Buffalo Sabres at nine two and two with twenty points. The Bruins are eight one and two with eighteen points. The Florida Panthers are five. with 14 points. Toronto's in fourth spot at 6-5-2 with 14 points. Tampa Bay, 5-3-2 with 12 points. The Montreal Canadiens are 5-4-2 with 12 points. Ottawa is 3-7-1 with 7 points. And the Red Wings are 3-8-1 with 7 points overall. Dead, Dead last right now, second to last, excuse me, in the Eastern Conference. In the Western Conference, in the Pacific Division, it is the Edmonton Oilers at 8, 3, and 1 with 17 points. Vegas is 8, 5, and 0 with 16 points. Arizona 7, 3, and 1 with 15 points. In fourth spot right now is the Vancouver Canucks at 7, 3, and 1 with 15 points. The Anaheim Ducks are 7, 6, and 0 with 14 points. Calgary 6, 5, and 2 with 14 points. San Jose struggling right now at 4, 7, and 1 with 9 points. And the LA Kings are 4, 8, and 0. With eight points in the central division, it is the Colorado Avalanche at 8, 2, and 1 with 17 points. Nashville, 7, 3, and 1 with 15 points. St. Louis, the defending Stanley Cup champion, are 6, 3, and 3 with 15 points. Winnipeg, 6, 6, and 0 oh, with 12 points in fourth spot. Right now, the Dallas Stars are 4, 8, and 1 with nine points. The Chicago Blackhawks are 3, 5, and 2 with eight points. And the Minnesota Wild are 4, 7, and 0 oh, with eight points. Overall, so the Jackets getting back into action tomorrow night against the Edmonton Oilers. Then they'll go to St. Louis and then we'll come back to play Calgary before they welcome to Vegas next Tuesday night. As you're listening to All the for tonight, right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. We'll continue to hit the ice. and talk a little ECHL hockey, which is the division, which is double A hockey. And we'll talk about the team here in the city of Toledo, the Walleye and the Cyclones. So we're going to talk a little ECH Hello Hockey first and foremost before we begin. And we're going to start first and foremost before we get into the Walleye recap, of course. We're going to talk about another team that we we follow right here since we are an Ohio-based talk, uh, sports talk show. Of course, we're talking about my good friend Everett Fitzhugh and the Cincinnati Cyclones. The Cyclones went into Indianapolis this past weekend for a big series against the Fuel. And on Friday night, the Fuel getting the better of the Cyclones by a score of 3 to nothing. It was Indianapolis with 29 shots on net, the Cyclones with 22 shots on net, Indy 1 for 3 on the power play, Cincinnati 0 for 3 on the power play. It was Dowdy his first from Noel and Rinsick, Jones his first from Watson and Korinsky on the power play, before Noel getting the empty netter in the third period. And it was Michael Hauser stopping 26 of 28 of those goals uh, as the Cyclones getting a loss by a score of 3-0 on Friday night. And uh, also on that same night, the Walleye were taking on the Kansas City Mavericks in Kansas City as the Walleye fall to the Mavericks at Sherville Eye Center Arena by a score of 6-4. to four. The Walleye... Uh, we're down 3 to nothing, until Gurinsic getting his second of the season from Crawford and Hensick on the power play, making it 3-1. Parks for Kansas City getting a goal in the second period. Foley getting his first as well. And Caruso his third, which led up to the 3-0 lead for Kansas City before Gurinsic getting his second. Toledo then Kessner getting his first from Spiza and Hensick making it 3-2 Kansas City, then getting it from Parks, his second from Woods and Walker, making it 4-2 Amorosa getting his first of the season from Holtz and Dosher, making it 5-2 Kansas City for Loggins, his first from Birchback and Spiza on the power play. And it was then uh, Moles, Holes getting his first from Van Strahl, making it 6-3, and then Barazzo getting a shorthanded. Pelly shot, beating the goaltender uh, Nick Schneider. As the as but the the fish fell to the Mavericks by a score of six to four. The Mavericks led in shots, thirty six to 20, 21. Both teams three for six on the power play. Caden Folster stopping thirty of thirty six. Schneider stopping seventeen of twenty one. In the game this past Saturday, uh, it's past Friday. On Saturday night, the Cyclones getting a three-two win over the Indy Fuel, and it was Johnson getting his first at uh, twenty-seven seconds into the first period, before Indianapolis Stroop getting his first and second, making it two-one Indianapolis. Uh, Rupert and Noel on the first assist, Korinsky and Watson on the on the second goal assist. It would be Edward. His third goal of the season for the Cyclones, making it 2-2 after halfway through the second period. Actually, have two minutes into the second period, and then the former Walleye and the former Cyclone Cody Soule getting his first goal of the season from Ward, and that was the difference maker. And that was pretty much the end. That was the ending of the scoring as Cody Soule gives the Cyclones the win. By a score of 3-2. The Cyclones out shooting Indianapolis in the game. 28-25. Both teams 0 for on the power play. Cincinnati 0-1. Indianapolis 0-4. Michael Hauser stopping 23 of 25. Mirage the loss. He stopped 25 of 23 allowed. So then on Saturday as well for the Fish. They continued their series against the Kansas City Mavericks. And they get a 4-2 win. The Mavericks fall and they split the weekend series it was Phillips getting the starter for the Walleye 8, 4, 646 into the first period from Hensick and Gorinzik on the power play and then Amorini from Loggins and Birchback on the power play it was 2-0 Fish before Woods gets his first of the season for Carrizo and Benzhold on the power play making it 2-1 to Gorinzik then for Toledo getting his third goal of the season from Brendan Connick and Boeing and a regulation goal in the second period, making it 3 1 fish. Benzel for Kansas City, getting his first of the season from Caruso and Walker, making it 3 2 in the second. And then Ock, I mean Ock, getting his first of the season from Hensick and Delarose, making it 4 2 fish. And that was the final. The Walleye beating the Mavericks by a score of 4 2. Shots on goal in the game. The Walleye had 29 shots on net to Kansas City, 17. Toledo two for six on the power play. Kansas City one for five. Pat Nagel getting the win. He stopped fifteen of seventeen. Schneider stopping twenty not five of twenty nine in the game this past Saturday night at the Ice Center. On Sunday, there was both teams did not play. And today, Toledo went into Kalamazoo, the fifth game of the road trip, the final game of the road trip before coming back home and getting a big four three win over the Kalamazoo Wings. At K Wings Event Center, it was Dylan Sadoway, the former walleye, getting the going start from Blaney, making it one nothing, and then Kyle Blaney then getting his first of the season from Dylan Sadoway and Swordson making it two nothing. It was all all wings in the first period of the game. They were on top of the of the walleye. They let in shots eighteen to seven, and then in the second period, it was all fish. Brandon Kotick from Benenso and and Hensick making it 2-1 fish. And then Ermini getting the goal, beating Hildebrand from Bershbeck and Orlowski, making it 2-2 after 20 minutes of play. Then in the third period, Kalamazoo's Lowe getting his second of the season from Leiner and Benhumis on the power play. And it was 3-2 Kalamazoo before Shane Bershbeck, his second of the season from Bernenso and Spezia on the power play. Tying the game at three apiece in the third period. And that's what it went to until the overtime. And then on overtime. Hillman. His first goal of the season with the Fish. Was a timely goal from Kessner and Hensick, And the Walleye get the win. By a score of four to three. They let in the shots. 37 to 35. They were one for seven on the power play. One for five for Kalamazoo on the power play. Pat Nagel stopping 32 of 35. Hildebrand stopping 33 of 37. Overall, the Walleye, a big win in Kalamazoo today by a score of 4-3. Tomorrow on the slate, the Cyclones come back home to the U.S. Bank Arena. They'll take on the Florida Everblades, 7:35 Puck drop for that one. Uh, On Thursday, slate games, both teams do not play. Friday night, uh... Teams don't play, but on Saturday the home opener for the Toledo Walleye will be the banner raising as they welcome in the Florida Everblades. Seven fifteen puck drop for that one. Cincinnati heads up to CAA Center in Brampton, Ontario to take on the Brampton B. Seven fifteen puck drop for that one on Saturday. Sunday sees a big game two o'clock Eastern Cincinnati taking on Brampton and the huge game where we are going to be at, of course, this upcoming Sunday. You of course. Uh, we're going to have a special all Andy for Sunday morning here in the studio to recap, of course, the college football spectrum. This was the surprise that we were going to have for you on the housekeeping uh, portion of the program. But I might as well tell you now, Sunday morning, enjoy your coffee and fish with us. We will recap opening night for the walleye, of course, but the big game is Sunday. five fifteen puck drop at the Huntington Center. It will be the return of A.J. Jenks. To the Huntington Center as the Fort Wayne Comets come into the Huntington Center to take on the Toledo Walleye. Of course, get your tickets by calling 419-725-WALL or Walleye. Or go to the Walleye website to pick up your tickets for that one. Looking at the standings going into the rest of the week in the ECHL. Toledo is in first place in the Central Division at 4-1-0-0 with 8 points. Wheeling 4-2-0-0 with 8 points. Fort Wayne 3 2 and 1 with 7 points, Kalamazoo 3 1 and 1 and 1 with 0 with 7 points, Indy 3 3 0 and 0 with 6 points, Cincinnati 2 1 and 1 and 0 with 5 points overall. So, looking forward to seeing how this is all going to shape up for the ECHL this season. How the fan reaction is going to be this upcoming Sunday with AJ Jenks. it'll be interesting. It'll be absolutely interesting. Cannot wait to see what happens. As you're listening to All Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And now let's briefly talk about the World Series before we get into Andy Rance tonight. Of course, a big game tonight happening in Houston, Texas, as it is Game 6 of the World Series. Houston up in the Series, three games to two looking at the recap before you guys before you guys tonight uh when we last left you on the air on Tuesday for it was the opening of the World Series Washington was a winner 5 to 4 they got big two big wins in Houston beating up the Astros 12 to 3 in game 2 leading the series 2 games to nothing before going back to Washington and falling to the Astros by a score of 4 to 1 Saturday the Astros coming out and pounding the Nationals by a score of 8 to 1 and then on Sunday night a big win for the Astros getting the series lead taking three big games in in Washington the road team has helped themselves to the home cooking of their opponents as Houston beat the Nationals 7 to 1 on Sunday tonight on the docket of course Steven Strasburg on the hill for the for the Washington Nationals He's got a good record overall. Um, He's 1-0 in play this season in the World Series. On the bump tonight for the Houston Astros this evening, it is going to be the one and only Justin Verlander on the hill tonight for the Astros. If it gets to a Game 7 tomorrow, it looks like it is going to be possibly Max Scherzer. He was pulled from his start this past weekend uh for back spasms and arm spasms um but it looks like um it it looks like he will he has been cleared to start if the Nats are going to be going into game 7. Um it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, I figured it's probably gonna be either Zach Grinky or Ian Cole to start if it is a do or die game for the Astros, I think it will probably be it will be Ian Cole to start for that or Zach Grinky for that game. So we'll see what happens. Uh my prediction was absolutely wrong. I thought it was gonna be Astros in five, but it looks like it's going to probably be either Astros in six or Washington in seven. We'll see what happens. As you're listening to all Andy Elford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, however you're listening, wherever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. Let's now get into Andy Rantz, so we'll continue the flow. And first and foremost, if you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, then what are you doing? Hit the subscribe button. We do podcasts now every Tuesday and Fridays right here on the Anchor Number. So it's now time for any of the rants and uh, housekeeping to pass along to you. Of course, you just heard it a little bit ago. Sunday morning with coffee and Alfred, of course. We will preview the NFL Week 9 and recap the, the college football games as well as previewing the big game for the Walleye as they take on Fort Wayne on Sunday more, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening and we'll recap the opening night for the guys Sunday on the Anchor Network as well as on Facebook Live. We'll be back on Facebook Live. Uh, so we'll be doing a show on Sunday, not Friday, this upcoming week. So that's information to pass a lot to you guys. Also, next Tuesday uh, the, excuse me, next Monday the 4th uh, we are in production for Andy and Money with uh, Yours Truly and Nick the Money Man DeVera will be doing our first show. Um, we will still have All Andy Alford that follow, that Tuesday. It will be, still be on the air, but then Wednesday there will be the postage date for the show. Looking forward to having a discussion with my old broadcast partner, Nick the Money Man DeVera. We're going to be doing the show like it was back in the day. Uh, looking forward to doing that with him. We will we'll be taping on Monday, and we'll have more information for you guys on Tuesdays. All Andy Alfred with that regarding of that. And you will also get a special preview listen to it right here. And it's going to be all in of the All Andy Alfred Network. So looking forward to that. And it's a good partnership with Anchor. Looking forward to doing that with you guys right here. So it's time for Andy Rantz. And today, the big news out of the day is that the NCAA has announced that that players can can make profit off of their likeness, and they will be paying the players for their likeness as well. This brings up the debate that I have been always thinking about, and the NCAA made the point of it today, and that is paying to play. And now... The big the being paid to play. I've always been a big proponent of against it, in my opinion, because if you're getting a full ride scholarship, you don't deserve to have money given to you to play sports. You earn that, and when you become a professional, uh, you're earning a free scholarship, free tuition, which is forty to fifty thousand dollars. When it comes to scholarship, you're living on the campus, they're feeding you, they're taking care of you and everything like that. And I think it's, it's a little ridiculous when it comes to that. You know, students like myself that went to Bowling Green State University had to pay everything almost out of pocket. Paying for it now with loans, paying loans and everything like that. Paying loans back and paying, paying the university back. These kids that want money for playing don't understand that they are getting paid already by the university We're free, with free tuition, free room and board. A lot of them are on meal plans. So they get free food. They get free food from the university when it comes to uh, going to events and stuff like that. I'll give you a perfect example of that. I used to... When I was with bowling with the Bowling Green Radio Sports Organization, we would travel across the country, and when we do road games, you know these players would be eating really well. Panera. Uh, my first ever road trip to Buffalo, New York, we went to Outback Steakhouse for dinner. Absolutely fantastic. So these players are getting paid, are, are getting paid through the university for tuition, board meal plan and eating and everything like that. What what else is there what else is there for the players to do players to get? I mean you can't accept bribes and cars and tattoos and stuff like that for your like for everything like that. So now you're getting the players have will get paid for their likeness on like creative ideas and posters and Billboards and stuff like that to promote the university, which is fine by me. On that aspect, but hearing what the what the NCAA, you're hearing rumblings that if the universe if the players are going to get paid, what it's going to be, it's going to be five to seven percent of the tuition that a player that a player gets. So I'll give you an example of this. Uh, bowling Green State University, the average tuition is about fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year for two semesters. So the player is gonna get five to seven percent of that. So fifty to sixty thousand dollars averaging about, about five about four hundred to six hundred dollars an attempt. Basically, and if you broke that down a little bit, if you are an athlete, a little bit more, and you're by game wise, you're getting about $20 to $30 a game. Don't you understand that you're getting tuition for free, you're getting room and board for free, you're getting meal plan for free, you're getting all the equipment that they have for free? Why can't you be grateful for what you have? Absolutely be grateful for what you have. And it's going to trickle down to... If it does come to us having to pay the players in NCAA football... It's going to hurt... It's not going to hurt just the university. It's going to hurt all the students like us... That have to pay out of pocket. Because we're going to have to pay more. Because... I'll give you a perfect example. Let's just say... Let's just say Grant Lloyd gets paid. Gets everything for free. I'm going to have to pay the bill for that. I don't think that's right. For every student to have to pay for the bill for that. I really don't. So all I have to say to this is that. Be grateful for what you have. If you're a college athlete. Because you could be like every other student. In the campus. Struggling to. Pay bills. Balance balance a checkbook. And whether or not you're going to be eating at for you it's either you're going to be eating at the Oaks and enjoying lunch with your meal plan or or for us as regular student, students you know when's our next meal going to be so there's that for you that's Andy Rance for you tonight again like I said we will be back on Sunday for a special edition of All Andy for Coffee with Alfred of course as we will get you set up for week 9 of the NFL season of course we'll be doing the podcast right around when we're when the uh, the London games going on so we'll be doing that game we'll you you already heard some of the predictions already for the games from week 9 earlier in the podcast you can go back to listen to that again we'll probably rephrase that again next uh, this upcoming Sunday and so much more we'll also recap week 10 of the college football spectrum and opening night, the banner raising for the walleye as well as the big game against Kalamazoo, the return of A.J. Jenks to the Huntington Center so until I talk to you guys on Sunday for a special edition of All Andy Alford, this is Andy Alford saying I'm pulling for you, we're all in this together, the game of life keep your stick on the ice and to the teams that you root for at home and to my teams, go Jackets, get the job done against Edmonton And get the job done against the defending Stanley Cup champions. Go Walleye. Good win today. And go Cyclones. Get get back on the winning page. And go Buckeyes. Bang. go Spartans. And go Nationals. But most importantly, go Falcons. Victory is sweetest when you have tasted defeat. Have a great week, everybody. I will talk to you guys on Sunday for a special edition of All Andy Alfred. I love you. Talk to you guys then. Follow Andy on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred. It is at AllAndyAlfred and on Facebook.com slash AllAndyAlfred. This has been a presentation of the All Andy Alfred Network, powered by Anchor.